I had a lot of things in my mind and things I was wanting to say, and I was kind of worried because I was thinking, man, am I going to have the time to be able to do all this stuff? And I look, I realize it's only 9:30. We got all kinds of extra time. Anyway, um, what I was wondering about today, and what I'm thinking about, actually for some time, and then it just kind of works out that I'm talking about today, is this concept of paradox. Paradox. Oh, children, get out of here. Okay. I wasn't looking at the thing. Okay. Paradox in the Bible. Um, what is a paradox? What is it? What? What is that? Have you seen this before? Um, there is an uh, artist, M.C. Usher, and he loves doing art based on paradoxes, right? So if we look up here, what's going on? Dude's walking up the stairs, but simultaneously... What's happening? Stairs are going down and up at the same time. They're going sideways. It, it's crazy. If you've seen his other paintings, they're all the same kind of a concept, right? Like you look at it and it's almost like it tricks your eyes. Like I can't quite understand how this works. And, and what is a paradox? Well, the definition of a paradox is it's a situation, a person or a thing that combines contradictory features or qualities, right? Contradiction in the picture? Features or qualities that don't make sense? Now, one of the things, of course, that's interesting about Usher is, welcome to the world we live in, right? Paradox. All the time. And to make matters worse, if you're a Christian, or if you're curious about God, you read the Bible, and there's all kinds of paradoxes. Things that don't make any sense. You often hear Rachel say things like, you know, Christianity means there's the now, and there's the not yet, right? Why is that? Well, what's the not yet? The things we hope for? Heaven, eternal life with Christ. And then of course there's the, the now, which isn't anything like that, right? You know, God promises blessings. He promises healing. He promises prosperity. And the now that I live in doesn't have a whole lot of that going on all the time. It's paradox. How is this possible? So I'm kind of drawn to paradoxes since they often cause a lot of controversy and debate and doubt. Because if you know me, I just avoid debate and controversy as much as possible, right? It's not my thing. Here's the problem. We know God is good. We know God is perfect. We know that he wants the best for us. So why these paradoxes? If God wants all these wonderful things for us, then why isn't it just wonderful all the time? So I've wondered a lot about two different books in the Bible that cause a lot of questions. In fact, I know a lot of Christians that avoid these books. They try to not even read them. In fact, I've had some. I don't read that book. I don't like it. And it's the books of Job and Ecclesiastes. Job and Ecclesiastes. These are paradox books. The whole books are just a paradox. and Everyone wants to read the Gospels and, you know, Paul and the victorious things, right? And it's like Job, and it's like, oh, he's got sores, and he's scratching himself with pot shirts. Yay, I'm skipping that one. But I'm going to start with Ecclesiastes. How do we approach Ecclesiastes? And so I was thinking, if we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes, I was hoping to find some kind of a modern parallel in, in our culture that would reflect Ecclesiastes, you know, something spiritual, maybe a movie. 
Maybe movie with an aspiring Christian actor. Kirk Cameron, maybe, in the film. <laughs> then it struck me the movie that best typifies Ecclesiastes that would bring us closer to Christ and, and realize his role in our lives. And of course, the movie is Meatballs. <laughs> Bill Murray. Who doesn't love Bill Murray? I mean, if you've seen him in What About Bob? Baby steps, baby steps. He's just great. He's just great. So, you know, no movie can really reflect the Bible quite like Meatballs. Actually, it's a really terrible movie. You shouldn't watch it. It's like camp humor and stuff, which innuendos and stuff. But it's a great movie anyway because it's Ecclesiastes. Have you ever seen the movie at all? Whew. Okay, a couple, yeah. A couple of you, right? It's not a great movie, is it? In the movie, i got to explain something to you. Uh, there's this camp, and it's camp humor and blah, blah. Well, the big crux of the movie is they have an Olympiad, Olympiad competition with this other camp. And the other camp is like for the rich kids who have all their stuff. And they win the Olympiad every single year, every year. And, and they're a pitiful little camp. They're a bunch of misfit kids and broken toys, and they don't do anything right. And they lose all the time, terribly. So they have the first day of the Olympia, and they're already behind with like 100 points, and they have no chance of winning, and they're all depressed, and they're at their camp that night licking their wounds and sitting around the fire all sad. Basically, this is what happens here. Cut the crap, Morty. I mean, the Mohawks, this is the other camp, they've beaten us the last 12 years. They're going to beat us again. Bill Murray. That's just the attitude we don't need. Sure, Mohawk has beaten us 12 years in a row. Sure, they're terrific athletes. They've got the best equipment that money can buy. Every team they're sending over here has their own personal masseuse. Not masseur, masseuse. But it doesn't matter. Do you know that every Mohawk competitor has an electrocardiogram, blood and urine tests every 48 hours to see if there's any change in his physical condition? Do you know that they use the most sophisticated training methods from the Soviet Union, East and West Germany, and the newest Olympic power, Trinidad and Tobago? But it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I tell you, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And the group starts saying, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And they get all excited. And even, and even if we win, if we win, ha, even if we win, even if we play so far over our heads that our noses bleed for a week to 10 days, even if God in heaven above comes down and points his hand at our side of the field, even if every man, woman, and child held hands together and prayed for us to win, it just wouldn't matter. Because all the really good-looking girls would still go out with the guys from Mohawk because they've got all the money. It just doesn't matter if we win or lose. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And that's Ecclesiastes. Really? I don't remember reading that in the Bible. That's okay. That's the book we avoided, so you haven't read it anyway. See? So it's okay. Is that what Ecclesiastes really says? Well, yes. It is what it really says. Oh, you can't read it. 
Ready? This is think of Bill Murray. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Which is a really fancy biblical way of saying it just doesn't matter. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What's been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Life is boring. Oh, just going to be sick again next week. Just got to go to work again tomorrow. Weekend's coming over. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Now, if that doesn't make you think of Bill Murray, what about the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes? Now, we weren't going to have time to go through the whole book, but just to kind of summarize here, here's what the author goes on to say. Basically, everything humans do, good or evil, is vanity. That's what he just goes, it's vanity. Pleasure, great works, servants, wealth, music, love, sleep and rest, sin, Oppression, injustice. You could be the greatest thug. You could be the greatest saint. It's all vanity. It just doesn't matter. In the end, everyone, even the wise and the foolish, end up in the same place. That's what Ecclesiastes basically comes down to. We struggle, we struggle, we struggle, and at the end, we all die. Wow, this is pretty depressing. Where are we going? I don't understand. Even worse, what else does Ecclesiastes point out? The people who do evil seem to flourish, and those who do good seem to be harmed. In fact, Billy Joel had a song about that. Only the good die young. Wasn't that the song he had? Evil always seems to triumph. This is a paradox, isn't it? As Christians, we're called to this, these lies of meaning and greatness and blessing and victory and all this stuff and it just doesn't matter. That's why people don't want to read Ecclesiastes because it seems to go counter to everything that we read about in the rest of the Bible. But it's the Bible, so how can this be? People can lose their faith over paradoxes sometimes. I think when people are confronted with these things, they have paradoxes. And sometimes if you can't justify these paradoxes, it can cause us to have struggles here. So what do we make about this? Our lives, the things we do, the things we strive for, all the good things that we're trying to do in the world, can they really be meaningless? How can a good God not do justice here on earth? If I do right, I should be blessed. Isn't that the message you always hear? Reap and sow? The Bible says you reap and sow. Well, if you remember the 80s and 90s, there was a Christian music scene. It kind of came out of the Jesus movement. And there was really a good band out there that had several different names. They were known as... Daniel Amos, if you guys remember the 80s, Swirling Eddies, Terry Scott Taylor. Music, they're kind of an alternative new wave group, kind of different. 
they didn't really do pop songs per se. It was kind of out there. But I think they capture the paradox in a lot of their music. So I kind of like listening to them because their, their words are very poetic in many ways. They, they have a song that talks about this concept that if I do good, I should always be blessed, right? Which is a very American Christianity, right? Prosperity. And prosperity is really big in the 80s. And they have this song where, you know, they go on, I'm one of the king's kids. I'm going to be blessed. I deserve. And then it breaks away. And in the 1980s, there was a show called The Price is Right. I think it's still on, isn't it? In the 1980s game shows, there was a guy named Johnny Jacobs, I think was his name. He was a narrator guy. And they'd always do this big reveal, right? The person's standing there. They're going to offer them this prize. And Bob Barker would be like, what are they going to get? And Johnny Jacobs, you know, would, the, the screen would open up, a new car! And the person's screaming and yelling, right? So they did this clever song called New Car. And throughout the whole song, you know, they're singing, I'm one of the King's kids. I deserve the best. What am I going to get? And they hear Johnny Jacobs dubbed in, a new card! You hear people clapping and stuff like that in the background, right? Because if I serve Jesus, I'm going to get a new car. And in the song, they go on, you know, ask for more. I want chrome. I, I want a sunroof. You know, I want all these things on my new car. And all about Christianity is just all these amazing blessings. And then we read Ecclesiastes and Job, no new car. No tented windows. No power windows. Because guess what? Sometimes life is unfair. That's what Ecclesiastes and Job says. Completely counter to all the blessings that are promised. Paradox. Paradox. How can this be? Well, hmm. This is hard for Americans because we're Americans. And we believe in justice, individual rights, social justice. Anything done wrong in the past, we're going to fix it. Which, by the way, this is cool. I, I actually kind of like this. If you know me at all, I'm very big into constitutionalism and the Bill of Rights. I am. I'm a fan of the United States. I like the Constitution. I'm such a nerd, I teach it all day. <laughs> But we need to understand something about this amazing nation we built. And it is amazing for all the complaints people have. Um, these are conditions we've created to try to make sense out of a flawed world. Living in a free society, having a Bill of Rights, having individual freedoms protected by people, right? These are just our effort to try to make sense of all the terrible awfulness that's out there. And frankly, I think we've done a pretty amazing job considering the circumstances. Yes, I know there's tons of injustice in this country, but boy, we're not Venezuela. <laughs> they don't have lights anymore down there. It's like, okay, they're eating out of garbage dumps, and now they can't even turn the power on. It used to be the wealthiest country in South America. It can go down pretty fast, can't it? Hmm. Um, our effort, no matter how noble, to seek justice, good, and prosperity is going to be flawed because we're the ones doing it. We can do a cool this off, but it's going to have problems. <clears throat> what do we need to recognize? Just doesn't matter. You know, I tell the kids in history class, and sometimes they get kind of nervous. It's like, America's going to fail. Given time, we will fail. Why do I say this? I study history. 
And history very much ties into Ecclesiastes, because if you study enough history, you realize it just doesn't matter. Rome's going to fall. The French Empire is going to fall. Actually, they fall all the time because they're France, but you know. What's happened to all great kingdoms in the world? All of them. They all fail. Given enough time, what's, what's one of the basic roots of history? All institutions fail. All of them fail. What happens to all these denominations? This is why a lot of people don't, I'm not going to go to church. What happens to all these denominations? Over time, they become corrupt. They fail. How do churches stay from failing? Stay close to God, right? What the Bible tell right? Ichabod over the door. Once the Spirit of God has left, this church is just a social function. What is Rachel talking about all the time? We don't want to be a social club. Why? Because we've got to keep our eyes focused that eventually all things fail. So if it just doesn't matter, why am I even trying? Hmm. you got to be careful. We often focus with Job on the negative, but the positive is also a threat too. You see, sometimes we and our lives can be our own personal sin against the first commandment. We often become our own idol, right? Look at what we've done here in the United States. Look at my life and my blessings. God couldn't possibly take these blessings away from me because I've lived a good life, right? I'm serving God. It's got to go, it's got to go well for me. That can become an idol, can it? Hmm. I deserve the new car. But what does the Bible say? We end up just like everyone else in the end. This person is the worst sinner in the world. I lived a totally upright life, and we're both going to die. Paradox. So go home. It doesn't matter. I'm just wasting your time. <laughs> Is that really what God meant? Does it make sense that you would strive and struggle and doesn't matter? No. Well, what else does it say? So this is from Ecclesiastes 3. And, and let me set this up because I was going to skip past it. And I read a lot of Bible because I figure, you know, it says the word of God will not return void. So if I read Bible, I can't mess that part up. See, like all, all the stuff in between the scriptures I read, that could be totally messed up because it just doesn't matter. But see, the Bible does matter. So then I'm, okay. <laughs> At least a couple minutes of the message didn't go bad. But there is a group called the Birds in the 60s. Really powerful, important group. Did a song from Ecclesiastes. You know, if you read, I'll read this section. You know, if you've heard this, back in the time they did music, it wasn't monotone. They had melodies and harmonies. It was, it was wonderful. Okay. Um, <laughs> to every living thing, there's a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. To everything. To, okay. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Hmm. That's the song part, right? I read that because look at that list of things. <clears throat> the good and the bad have a time, don't they? Of course, being us, we only want to have the all those first things in the line, right? And that's the second part. And then this goes on, because I want to make sure we don't forget this part here. So, okay, fine. There's this time for good and bad all the time. 
What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. What has he made beautiful? Everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Oh. See, this time to sow and stuff, it all leads up to this part, right? What's been set in our hearts? Eternity. This is why there's no excuse. Because eternity has been set in our hearts. But here's your paradox, right? Here's the paradox. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He's put eternity in my heart, but I don't have the ability to fathom that. Which is why if it's a time to rend and a time to sow, I get upset when it's a time to rend and tear things. Because I know what eternity is in my heart, and that's good. But the rending isn't so good. Life is good, but the death isn't so good. Eternity is in my heart, but I can't fathom beginning to end. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Hmm. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. The meaningless part? Yeah. The, the waste of time part? Yeah. It just doesn't matter? Yeah. Have fun. Work hard. This is the gift of God. What? My toil is the gift of God? That doesn't sound like much of a gift to me. I wanted to like goof off and play games. I know that everything God does will endure forever. What will endure forever? Everything God does. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. What does this tell me? God is looking at things a little bit different than I do. Because I'm looking at blessing, blessing, blessing. I want a new car. I want the tinted windows. And God's like, no, I got other things in mind. Work. Get out there and work. Have fun working. Because he's, this is why the Bible compares us to like families and parents, right? What do we do to our kids? Get off your butt and work, right? Go clean something. Make the house nicer. The house is degrading into corruption. Help me stop this corruption. <laughs> Are kids ever enthusiastic to have to get up and work? Not a single time. They're sad every time. My labors are so unfair. Gotta skim the bugs off the top of the pool. <laughs> Dad, do it for me. You got a pool to swim in. Shut up and skim the bugs off so we can go swimming. <laughs> Look, there's a time for everything, isn't there? Look, the reality is life is a finite thing. Eternity's in our hearts, but we don't live in eternity now, now and not yet. And we keep saying this, but we don't really believe. Well, we believe it because eternity's in our hearts, but our circumstances, right? We're focused on now because that's where we are. Hmm. Huh. Ecclesiastes also goes on to say, um, and he says this all throughout Ecclesiastes, if you read it, this is constant. 
Um, eat, drink, find satisfaction in toilsome labor. Toilsome labor. That's not good labor. That's, that's lousy labor. Toilsome labor. Under the sun, look at this, Toils, for under the sun for the few days of life God has given you. I only get a few days on this earth and I get toilsome labor. Thanks a lot, God. Accept your lot. It is a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 7.14. When times are good, be happy. Be happy. Sometimes people feel guilty when they're blessed. Don't be guilty. God gave it to you. Enjoy it. Because guess what? There's a time for life and a time for death. Time for renting and a time for sowing. You better be happy while times are good. Because guess what's coming? When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. You don't know. If you're blessed right now, don't walk around in guilt. Lots of people, especially in this country, because we're a blessed country. We're a weird society, aren't we? On the one side, we have one part of Americans that are all into prosperity theory and actually be blessed all the time and never have suffering. But then on the other side of America, we have people who are blessed unbelievably and they're upset all the time. <laughs> right? Well, I don't deserve this. Look at all the suffering. How can I sit there and, and eat this amazing pizza when there's kids starving? Eat the pizza. Have fun. Because why? It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Just enjoy it. If it's a blessing, just take it and enjoy it. Because you're going to be hungry in six hours anyway. <laughs> that pizza is going to meet corruption. In fact, if you put peppers on it, it's really going to meet corruption. That blessing could turn into a curse. Right? I didn't, I didn't make the rules. I didn't write the Bible. It just is, right? He's telling you it's good and bad. It's all going to come. Enjoy the good. Enjoy the bad. Enjoy the bad. Are you crazy? Yeah. That's what he said to do. Ecclesiastes 9. Look what else he says. I mean, this, he keeps going. It's meaningless, meaninglessly meaningless. And what does he say after he tells you everything's meaningless? Then he has these little gems they drop in there, right? Ecclesiastes 9, go, eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. If you're a Baptist, that's grape jelly. Okay, it's grape jelly if you're a Baptist. Okay. Actually, if you're in somebody got pastor, it's grape jelly also. So that's cool. Okay. For God has already approved what you do. God's already approved what you do. Hmm. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. What a great line. What a great line. All the days of your meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. It just doesn't matter. Enjoy it. All your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. But I want to be President of the United States. Clean the toilets. <laughs> but I want to be President of the University. Mow the lawn. Otherwise, it's no longer being President of the University or President of the United States. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. But of course, what do we tend to do? Well, I'm going to do it with all my might if it's what I want to do. I'm going to do it with all my might if it's an important job that I think is important. If I don't think it's important, what's well, a stupid job? I'm going to have a bad attitude. 
When I ask my kids to clean the pool, do I want them to have a bad attitude? No. Be happy and clean the pool. I don't want to hear a crabbing and moaning. It's got to be done. I'm busy doing other stuff. I might be playing a game on the computer. Go clean the pool. Because <laughs> that's how it is, isn't it? Oh, I got five kids, so it gets way more complicated than that, right? The one kid's mowing the lawn while the other kid's playing on the computer. Oh, you talk about anger and upsetness. <laughs> but it's okay. Because the kid playing on the computer is going to be washing the dishes when you get done mowing the lawn. And then they're going to be whining at you playing on the computer while they're washing dishes. I don't care about your crabbing and moaning. Just do your job. Isn't that what Ecclesiastes is saying? Oh, your mind, just do it. Hmm. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going. Ooh, that hard reality at the end. In the realm of the dead where you are going, there's neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. You are going to die. And you won't be able to do anything that you can do here on earth. Do the best you can do with every minute you have because it's slipping away pretty quick. And we don't have time to mess around. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. I don't know. We're all planning, right? Mm, what's my retirement going to be like? That's what I'm at right now. I get to my retirement. I'm going to do this and that. I'm going to no, maybe not. Might be done today. I don't know. Maybe I should enjoy it and just work hard instead of being in a crabby mood about my condition I'm in right now and wanting the entire time as I make my plans for the better conditions I'm going to have ten years from now that might not ever happen. Maybe I should just enjoy this this time. Isn't that what it's saying? Hmm. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Now, all has been heard, and this is at the end. So to wrap all this up, what do you say? Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Keep his commandments. Oh. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing. Ooh, I didn't want God to focus on that. I put up such a good facade for everybody. They thought I was cool. Whether it is good or evil. Hmm. So what's the reality? I better try to do the best I can while I'm here and I try to keep God, fear God and keep his commandments for this is my duty. Because every good deed, hidden and public, will be judged. See, the 1970s, when I was young, they understood this ecclesiastical concept of it just doesn't matter. In the 70s, they had a phrase when people get upset about stuff. Now, this just come out of the hippie experience, so you know. But if you grew up at that time, you know the phrase they gave, right? When something wasn't going well in 70s Christianity, hippie Christianity, they'd all have, they had this phrase for when things weren't going the way you wanted to. It says, it's all going to burn. Yeah! Yes, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. Oh, dude, man, my car broke down. Oh, it's all going to burn. Oh. <laughs> Better. 
Oh, man, I, I'm really hungry. It's all going to burn. Oh, okay. <clears throat> I don't like my house. It's all going to burn. That was like the 70s thing for everything that wasn't quite the way you wanted. Just, well, it's going to burn. It's fine. Cool. Right. Isn't that Bill Murray? It just doesn't matter. Now, Bill Murray missed something because he said it just doesn't matter because the rich kids are going to get all the girls anyway. That was his conclusion. Now, that was not biblical, that part of Bill Murray's speech, okay, just so we're clear. Okay? The conclusion is not it just doesn't matter because the rich kids get all the girls. It, the biblical thing is it just doesn't matter. What did Ecclesiastes say? It just doesn't matter because at the end we're going to be judged on how we labored for God in our hidden deeds and in the deeds we do. Do we, do, we, do we accept our toil with joy and just work hard at it? When Joseph was sent to, in slavery, he just worked hard. When he was given to Potiphar, he just worked hard and became the best servant in the house. When he was falsely accused of sexually trying to attack Potiphar's wife and thrown in prison, David, Joseph just became the head of the prison because he was working hard, he just with joy. And then when he tells those guys their dreams and says, hey, don't forget about me. I'm an innocent guy in prison. And the guy forgot about him. Joseph just kept doing what he was supposed to do. And then when he was raised up out of prison, put in charge of Egypt. It's cool. There's a time and a season. It's going to be good and bad. You're going to be blessed and you're going to have to deal with the curse. Because the curse means death, right? And all the things that come with that. And we're going to do things that make other people miserable, but guess what? They're doing things that make us miserable. Yeah, God gets it. So just soldier on. Ooh, that's not quite as comfortable as what I thought. You see, how is this not depressing? It's because Bill Murray in the movie and the author of Ecclesiastes understands something. Play the game. Just play. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter that the other team has a masseuse. Just play. And of course, you know how the movie's working out, even though almost none of you have ever seen the movie. Of course, what did they do after the big speech? They won the Olympiad for the first time in 12 years because that's how American movies go because they have to have happy endings, right? <laughs> if, if it's not a happy ending, no one will watch the movie. They lose money. This is, you know, no bottom line. But, you know, do your best. Do your best. You see, there's a liberation there. It just doesn't matter. Once you free yourself from all these expectations and concerns, there's a real liberation in that. There's a real freedom. You see, when I'm Joseph, I'm in, if I'm in prison for the rest of my days, it's okay. I will do the best I can do. And I'll just leave it to God. And if God puts me in charge of Egypt, it doesn't matter because I might, I could have false witnesses come up against me and I could be taken out of the leadership in Egypt, couldn't I? Right? Jews got dragged off to Babylon. Just doesn't matter. Just so we're clear here. They got dragged off to Babylon because Israel's being punished because they weren't serving God. But what do we know about that story? Well, a lot of those Jews were serving God. Were the, were the Jews who served God swept up in the destruction of Israel along with the Jews who were not serving God and worshiping idols? Yeah, they all got swept up in it, didn't they? And what did the faithful Jews do when they were sent to Babylon? They kept serving God in Babylon, didn't they? And Daniel got raised up to a position of power because he just, he just joyfully toiled for good, which was undeniable. We've got to put this guy in charge. 
And he could have put his faith in the fact that he had so much power over the kingdom of Babylon. But if he had done that, he would have failed. Because false witnesses came up against him, didn't they? And betrayed him. And after reaching the heights of power, everything has a time and a season. Daniel's now in the lion's den, isn't he? And if he's focusing on his circumstances, it would have been miserable. But what's he doing in the lion's den? Eh, I'll be okay. Just so, you know, it's all going to burn. If the lions eat me, eh, I'll go to heaven. If they don't, eh, glory to God. Yay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Eh, eh, throw us in the fire. Cool. That's hard to do. You see, unraveling the paradox is understanding a simple concept. Circumstance versus truth. Circumstance is temporary. Here's why this is not a paradox. We make it a paradox. We make it a paradox because we are temporal creatures. We live on an earth surrounded by temporal things. So we focus on the temporal. But what does the Bible say throughout the entire Bible? Focus on things above, not on things of the earth. Why is it saying that over and over and over again? Because us. It's not God. It's us. Truth is eternal. Circumstance is temporary. But our problem is it becomes a paradox because we focus on the circumstance, not the eternal. That's the paradox. It's not really a paradox at all. Ecclesiastes is not out of line with what the rest of the Bible is saying. It's directly in line with what the rest of the Bible is saying. Job is not out of line with what the rest of the Bible is saying. It's completely in line. All we can do is think of the next minute, hour, day, week, month. But that's our perspective, not God's. He sees beginning to end. I just want another punch key. And as soon as I get done eating one, I want another one because they're good. And that one's gone, and I want to experience that again. I need more dopamine. Okay? Uh, what all is this tied to? It's corruption. You know, early Americans understood the concept of corruption. In fact, they use the word all the time. If you read people from a couple hundred years ago, they describe corruption. See, corruption is the natural state, the world is cursed. What's the labor thing about? We work against the corruption. It takes work to make this civilization and make all this stuff. Like lots and lots of work. And guess what? If you stop working, what does it look like? Every other civilization is in a collapse. There's like ruins and pieces of buildings standing around, archaeological projects. Because what's the natural state? Corruption. What's the natural state of our world? Corruption. Why do I worry about my circumstances? Because I got to eat and I got to sleep and I got to work to get the money to make the eat and sleep. And I do need to do that or I'll die. If I don't labor and toil, I will die. I'll meet my corruption much quicker than normal if I make no effort. So I got to toil against that. And in toiling against that, we glorify God. That's the blessing, is showing as defeating the curse. Oh. Of course, today it's all utopianism, right? All your basic needs are going to be met. Just put your faith in some other institution, and it'll all be good. Really? I don't think so. Not if it's run by people. Hmm. I need to tie this to the other book really quick. I told Rachel I was going to do both books, and she was focusing on Job when I talked to her on the phone. Oh, yeah, Job's really good. If she were listening on the podcast, when's he going to get to Job? I, 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 I was directing him towards Job the whole time. He's talking about Ecclesiastes. Why is he doing this to me? Okay, so I just really quick want to point this out to you. Um, 
we're probably familiar with the basic gist of Job, though, right? So even though no one wants to read it, we know that Job was very blessed, right? Um, we know there's a competition between God and Satan. And Satan's like, oh, he doesn't really love you. He just serves you because you gave him nice stuff. God's like, no, he doesn't. He's, he's into me. It's not the stuff. Satan's like, I'll prove it. Go, okay, fine. Take his stuff away. Make him sick. He's going to serve me. Okay. So he's run. Then he has these friends, these lousy friends. They give really lousy advice. He has his wife. Curse God and die. Of course, what is that? Well, it means she gets a new husband, I guess, right? Oh, see? <laughs> Seriously. Clearly, she was only in it for all the stuff, right? Oh, you don't have more stuff, Job? Just curse God and die. It'll free me up. Look at his friends. They, were, they say that Job sinned. He deserved his fate. Job's children got what they deserve. Can you imagine? What kind of evil advice is that? Yeah, your kids got what they deserve. Somebody said Job deserves more punishment. Elihu shows up. Oh, suffering's good. God wants us to suffer. Is that what the Bible says? Job shouldn't even try to justify himself. And then God reveals himself. And when he reveals himself, oh, the innocent suffer and are wrongly accused. That's the reality of Job. There are thousands and millions of Christians that have been persecuted and harmed for their faith in the past, but also today, isn't there? Is Job a one-time event in the Bible? No, it's going on right now. But weren't we told the price of following Christ? Take up your cross and follow me? It's hard for us Americans because we don't have to carry too much of a cross. I mean, people at work, oh, did I see you praying over your lunch? Who are, are you a Christian? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> which by the way don't feel guilty about it. remember if you're being blessed don't complain about being blessed but I mean just be real what's the solution to the paradox what did Ecclesiastes say there's a time and a place for everything all of us begin to end our lives in the same condition that's another thing Ecclesiastes said Job realized the exact same thing that's why I love these two books look what Job did the same things Ecclesiastes said at this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground in worship and he said naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'll depart same thing Ecclesiastes says it's the same stuff the Lord gave and the Lord taken away may the name of the Lord be praised in all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing I'm not going to blame God. Everything has a time and a place, good and bad. Hmm. What does Job say in chapter 9? He is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me, so that his terror would frighten me no more, then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. Notice Job's real problem. He doesn't blame God. Job wants a mediator to stand before God on his behalf. That's what he's frustrated about. Look, I get it. I still serve God. My circumstances aren't good. I'm staying loyal to God. I sure wish there was someone who could argue my case before God. Oh, it's the Old Testament. Oh, sorry, Job. <laughs> Talking about being envious of people who are blessed. Think how the Old Testament people must be feeling right now. Look at those New Testament Christians. They get Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. They're inside of them. Mediates before God all the time. And all they do is whine. <laughs> Job's probably, I could have used the Holy Spirit. 
But what does God do in his mercy? He personally meets Job. He comes down and meets Job face to face. Because God is not going to leave you in your condition forever. He is not. Hmm. And when Job sees just a tiny glimpse of his power, he says, My ears have heard you. But now my eyes have seen you. And therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. We've only heard about God, which is why our circumstances. But now we have a chance to see God. It doesn't say exactly what Job saw, but I really believe this. I think, I think God, for just a moment, opened up the future to him. Because the, the Bible talks about beginning to end. Now, for just a moment, Job got a chance to see what God sees. And he's like, I'm such an idiot. Here he is with boils on him. He's lost everything. Everyone in the world is criticizing him. And Job's like, this is nothing. Because, you see, once you're no longer focused on your circumstance and you're focused on the eternal, then it makes sense. Once all the bugs are off the pool, and now you can jump into the pool and have bugs stuck all over your body, it made sense that you cleaned the stuff off the pool. Right? Oh, I'm glad I cleaned the pool. I don't, I don't itch when I get out of the water. Oh, something changed in Job. The paradox has been resolved. It's important to get to this part of Job, and this doesn't get focused on as much. But after he recognizes God, what does happen? After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you've not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. See, they had a chance to do right also, and they didn't. Was Job the only one being tested? No. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You've not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told him, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Who prayed for the stupid friends who gave the bad advice? Job did. Job prayed for them. Something's changed, right? The people who despitefully use you in your life, the people who make you crazy, pray for them. Isn't that what the Bible says? Job has had a transformation moment, right? What's the key here? Let's get past this par- one last thing about this paradox really quick. You know, he blessed the men who wrongfully cursed him at the worst time in his life. The resolution is that we now do have a mediator that Job called for. The resolution is, like Ecclesiastes, we need to see the world through God's eyes and not our own, not our circumstance. You see, when you look at Job, you got to keep something in mind. We know what's going on. We know that Job is going to have these terrible things happen to him. And we know that Job is going to be blessed because we know the story. Did Job know that? God gives, this is another thing about Job. God gives us a chance to see that as it's happening. To build our faith. Hmm. Think about this. We don't think about this about Job. God allowed this frail, beaten down little body 
to humiliate his greatest creation, Satan. Satan was the greatest of the angels, wasn't he? And Job is just nothing dude who can't do anything and is helpless. And Job is defeating Satan. We don't think about that a lot of times. Because we're focused on the story. Oh, he has to cut himself with pot shards. Oh, oh, he's winning. His circumstance of the boils isn't what mattered. It's that Satan is getting his teeth kicked in. Oh, you see, it just doesn't matter. When you change your perspective, you can win the Olympiad. Because you're not focused on the fact that you've lost 12 years in a row. You're focused on the fact that we're going to have fun and just do our best. That we're going to toil with joy. And instead of toil with a bad attitude. Think about Satan. See, because if we focus on the circumstance, then we get into Satan's mindset. Remember how Satan tempted Christ? If you're the Christ. See, Satan is all about circumstance, isn't he? He goes to Jesus. If you're the Christ, do this miracle. Oh, if I do the miracle, then I'm Christ? Nope. Because the circumstance isn't the eternal. Oh, jump off of a tall building and the angels will catch you. Nope, that's a circumstance. What does the world say? Oh, if, you're really, if God's really real, I want God to show up right now. I want a circumstance. God's going to do this right now. They want a circumstance. What do we want in our own lives? We just want our circumstances fixed. Because that's all Satan can do. What does Satan offer us? You know, there's pleasure in sin for a season, right? I'm going to give you a circumstance that's beneficial for a short time. Oh, everything has a time and a season. Whatever benefits Satan might offer you, it's only for a short period of time. It's going. See, Satan can't ever understand true love because he rejected it years ago. And he wants us to reject the true love that Jesus offers us by us getting all wrapped up in our circumstances and the situations we're in. He wants us to have a Christianity totally tied around blessings and no curses. He wants us totally focused on a Christianity that only makes time for the good things in my life that I want to have and totally ignore the bad things that are inevitable. And when the bad things happen, we have a weak Christianity because when those terrible things happen, and they will happen, we're all going to die. Well, God's not real. There wouldn't be suffering if God were real. Really, because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there's pain and suffering and there's joy and pleasure. Both are occurring. Hmm. All of the heroes of the Bible are people who wasted their meaningless lives doing simple acts serving God. And there's something else you should think about, too, because we all want to be blessed and all want to have power and glory and greatness. But if you think about this, sometimes you have to have the bad times. What? You see, if all of us, if all Christians were successful all the time, who would be a witness to those people in prison? Sometimes Joseph's got to be in prison to serve as a witness to the people who are in the prison. Who's going to care for neighbors in neighborhoods in poverty if there's not some Christians who are in poverty who can be a witness to those people? Sometimes we have to be in all circumstances. Sometimes you've got to be Paul and Silas sitting in the prison with scars on your back from getting beaten, singing worship songs so that you can save the prison guard. If Paul and Silas, don't get me wrong, Satan creates the evil circumstance, right? God didn't hurt Job. Satan did. In the sense of corruption, the inevitable corruption of the world around us. Sometimes we get caught up in that. 
And if you do get caught up in the corruption, that's when you can serve God and impact people who see that. That's what really drives people. See, people don't, if I'm a Christian, everything went good for me. To some extent, I can't now relate to people who are unsaved. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. No. Jesus is acquainted with our griefs and our sorrows. Why? Because he went through it. We got to go through some of it. Jesus isn't going to make us go through as much as he did. We're going to go through some of it. But it's okay. Count it all joy. Is that what the Bible says? Oh, count it all joy. <clears throat> for those who mourn and for those who weep and for those who suffer injustice. Because I can relate to that because we've been there. God works all things for good for those who serve him. The bad times are coming. Some of you might be in those bad times right now. It's okay. It's just the time. It's not eternity. Who is the author and finisher of our faith? Is it my circumstance or is it the eternal? I mentioned Daniel Amos earlier, and uh, they're really poetic, and they talk a lot about how, you know, this paradox exists. They have one phrase, they call it resplendent riffraff. Right? We are resplendent in the eyes of God, and yet we're the riffraff. Worthless and worthy. We're simultaneously worthless, we're sinners, and yet we're worthy. We're selfless, we give of ourselves, and yet we're selfish at the same time, aren't we? Can't seem to avoid these things. One of my favorite songs, though, is one called Lay Down. And I'm just going to read it real quick and then I'll wrap it up. And I lied when I said, I never knew you. You know, we always focus on the fact that, that, that Jesus was betrayed at the last time, right? But we don't think about the fact the apostles were lying, Right? Peter lied in what he said. Peter knows the truth. Peter is placed in a tough circumstance where if he speaks the truth, when he's accused of knowing Christ, he might suffer. He might have been killed that night if he had said, yeah, I know Jesus. I'm there with him. And Peter lied. What's the weakness of Peter? He allowed his circumstance to dictate his faith in Christ for that moment. Now, Peter comes back. It's, it's a good ending. Hmm. I lied when I said, I never knew you. You did not fight back when I scarred and bruised you. What's the nature of Peter? It's all of us, right? I mean, Jesus died for Peter, but he died for all of us. Why do you have to die for all of us? Because all of us have lied about Christ. All of us, we have not always been able to toil with joy in the bad times. And we've tried to make Jesus out to be a liar. We have, if we're going to be honest. <clears throat> we put those scars on his back. Jesus could have killed the man whipping him. And he just sat there. You didn't say a word when, when we accused you. Oh, we accuse God all the time. Why am I going through this? God, I don't deserve this. Really? Hmm. When hate was crowned king, your love never diminished. 
What circumstance was Jesus in? He was in a moment where he was mockingly crowned king of the Jews. A total reversal of everything he was born to do, of everything that he was required of. And he toiled that meaningless 33 years of his life for us. He's hanging on the cross. He's taking on the sins of the world. And like Job, it hurt him. He was in pain. But he did it with joy. Even as he's hanging there, and that thief is next to him, you're going to be with me in eternity? And how could Jesus suffer that much physical pain? Because he knew it was only for a time. But his eyes are focused on eternity. That's how Jesus can hang on a cross and toil and labor with love. That's how Jesus can sit there for three years with these idiot disciples who do it wrong every single time. They don't do one thing right. They're total losers. To the point where Jesus gets mad sometimes. And yet he has his eyes focused on the end. Because see, beginning to end is what Ecclesiastes talks about, right? He sends the disciples to heal people. They don't heal anyone. Total failure. But Jesus is okay with it because he knows beginning to end. He knows that these total failures are going to write the New Testament. That they're going to create the church that's going to live forever. Those lousy pieces of clay are actually going to get the job done somehow. He knows you're going to get the job done somehow, even though you're failing all the time. God doesn't care. Keep your eyes focused on what's eternal. You stood meek as a lamb there without blemish, and we laughed when you cried out. It is finished. So you lay down. You lay down, and I'll step upon your back. High enough above the fence to see all the way to glory land. Jesus lets us stand on his shoulders to look over the fence of our circumstance to see glory land. And if my eyes are there, I can handle anything. But I can't always keep my eyes there, can I? And don't feel guilt, okay? Because the reality is we just live in a temporal world. Can't avoid it, right? Right now, I want to eat lunch. I'm hungry. I got this. You know, if I, if I had lost my shoes for some reason, I've got to walk outside in bare feet. I'd be suffering. I'd be upset. You know what I'm saying? We can't avoid it. It's just real. But I can labor and toil with joy when I know what's at the end. And we now have that mediator who lives inside of us, who gives us a chance to step on his back and look and see glory land and see where we're going. And it's beautiful. When you're focused on the end, the circumstances don't matter. It just doesn't matter because those are circumstances. The circumstances don't matter. The eternal is what matters. So the worship team could come up real quick. Prayer people. You know, if you're someone who's not made Jesus Lord of your life, your life is meaningless. I don't care if you're the most powerful person in the world. You, are, you truly are wasting your life. Because really, what does it mean to not serve God? It means that you're a life totally filled in circumstance. You're living your entire life for the circumstances. And even if everything goes great for you, 
You never have a bad day in your life. You're going to die at the end of this life. It's a short time. If you, if you are not serving God, you need to come up and you need to get that straight. Get your vision set on eternity. If you are serving God, and this is what most people probably are, maybe you're in a situation like Job. And it's been hard. You feel like you've been beat down. And the circumstances are tearing you up. You've got to look at the end of the story. You need to realize it just doesn't matter. Love your life that God has given you. Accept the toil that God's created for you with joy. Because at the end, we get a chance to see it all works out in the end. Like Job, it's too wonderful for me to even understand. When you're at the hospital and you're in a terrible situation, it might be because Jesus wanted you to be able to be a witness to that nurse, that person in the hospital bed next to you, that family who's also going through a hard thing. I don't know. How many times have you heard people say, I would have never met Christ, but I was in this circumstance and there was this person who told me about Christ. Someone in a similar situation. Maybe you're in your own life. Maybe in your own life. It was someone in a tough circumstance that was able to minister to you because you were in the same circumstance. We never think about that. We, oh, I don't feel good. God. And we don't open up our eyes and see that in a place like that, all around us are people who need Jesus, right? I'm in the unemployment line. I'm going to guess a lot of people in that unemployment line need Jesus. And the way we react in our terrible circumstances is where people are blown away. Because for the rest of the world is living in their circumstance, when they live in that time and season when things are bad, they just fall apart because they have nothing to sustain them. And we do. So Ecclesiastes and Job is awesome. Because it's not all rainbows and unicorns. And somehow we know that. And I think it's good to get in touch with that from time to time. So, yay! <laughs> Come up for prayer. Labor of joy. Go to that lousy job this week and have a great time. Yay. And your boss is a dink and the people you work with are awful. Yay. And your spouse is mean. Yay. And there's chores around us. Yay. And your kids are goofy. Yay. Because God works all things to good for those who serve him. Thank you. take this time to respond to the word so we have prayer partners up here if you guys would stand we'll go, and we'll go into a time of worship as well yeah God we just thank you we thank you for the word let it just sink deep into just to our spirit focus on eternity i
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Take his presence with you today. Let him live through you. Amen. Be blessed.